The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, I, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Oh, well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears a little bit and talk with uh, an author this hour of a new book called From a Taller Tower, The Rise of the American Mass Shooter. His name is Seamus McGraw. He joins me by phone. Good morning, Seamus. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom, and thank you very much for inviting me. Um, when you say the rise of the American mass shooter, I, we've talked on, on this show with a number of guests over the last couple of years about what seems to be a rise in cases of active shooter scenarios and, and mass shootings. Is it on the rise, or are we just, um, do we just have our cameras pointed that way? Well, it is. The simple, the, the simple answer is yes, it is on the rise. Um, it is, Tom, in the history of the United States, uh, a fairly recent phenomenon. Um, I argue in uh, the book that the phenomenon itself actually began 50 years ago, um, 56 years ago at uh, the, uh, the University of Texas when a killer by the name of Charles Whitman. Now, I name that killer who I view as the first modern American mass public shooter. And I name one other killer in the book. Okay? I, I name the killer Stephen Paddock from Las Vegas, who I view as the first forgive me for saying this, first postmodern American mass shooter. But the phenomenon, the phenomenon of um, basically us killing us in large numbers based on some real or imagined grievance with increasingly deadly weapons with the goal of reaching fame or infamy in front of a mass public audience is a fairly recent phenomenon. And in the last, well, really since 2007, um, the incidence of these particular atrocities, I don't use the word tragedy because they're not tragedies. Tragedies are things we have no control over. Tragedies are tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and fires. These are atrocities. 
These are actual atrocities. Things that we man-made. do or we allow to be done. And they have increased. They have increased. Um, and I, I, I argue, Tom, that that's for a number of reasons. Certainly the promiscuous proliferation of a particular type of weapon. And we heard yesterday in testimony uh, before the House of Representatives by a uh, pediatrician from Uvalde um, the absolute unspeakable horror of what these particular weapons can do. Um, Certainly the proliferation of these weapons um, is a key component of this. They've been aggressively marketed um, for all the debate uh, about, uh, about this. It is unavoidable. It is an unavoidable conclusion that there is a select group of weapons that appeal to these particular killers and they use them in a way that makes any defense against them virtually impossible. Now, I, I want to be very clear on something, Tom. I, I, I am not saying this as some kind of foaming at the mouth, woke, um, anti-gun activist. All right, I'm a guy who the only red meat we eat in my, in my house is meat I take. There, I, I have a rifle in my hand every day, every day, from the middle of October to the end of January. So this is not this is not some kind of foaming at the mouth anti-gun treatise. Okay, my kids were raised in a house where my rifles were always there. Um, but I do believe um, I am persuaded after wading through countless studies, talking to people who've been on every side of this issue, including the killers themselves, in, in, in at least one case, um, that this is a significant part of the problem, but it's not the only part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that we now live in a culture um, that has come to value rage and grievance over virtually everything else. We live in a culture that values fame over virtually everything else and doesn't draw a distinction between fame and infamy. And we live in a culture where we are technologically connected in a way, okay, that when one of these events occurs, even as they're ongoing, they touch every one of us. We are connected. That very first mass shooting, uh, mass public shooting of the modern era, was the first atrocity of its sort and the first to be broadcast nationally. For the last 56 years, Tom, we have refined our ability to make that immediate with an incredible cost, at an incredible cost. You know, I don't know anybody who could have watched the testimony before the House of Representatives yesterday, before the committee, um, who would not have walked away from that with a measure of trauma, with a measure of trauma. 
We are now, as a culture, traumatized on a regular basis, and that has a cost. There's a story I tell in the book, Tom, and it's, it's where that cost can be found. It's not just in terms of the awful, terrible body count and the grotesque images that we have in our heads of, of what these atrocities actually look at look like. I want to cons- I want you to consider for a moment and I'd like your listeners to consider for a moment what the impact is on those first responders. There's a story I tell in the book about in the aftermath of uh, Sandy Hook. Okay, the massacre that we we were all convinced would uh, would, would, would change our attitude about these things, and it didn't. But in the aftermath of that, they were debriefing the officers, um, the three-man teams that had gone into the, the, the first of the classrooms where the slaughter of more than two dozen children had occurred. And one of the officers during the debriefing this guy was a veteran police officer. Okay, this guy was a trained member of one of these three teams, and he had been working with the other two uh, two team members for years. Okay, in terms of training and in terms of even their regular service, he insisted to them that he never went into the classroom. He insisted to them that he had taken the perimeter outside. That wasn't true, Tom. That wasn't true. The other two officers in his team both swore that he was right there with them. But he wasn't lying, Tom. He wasn't lying. He wasn't lying if lying means intentionally trying to mislead. That officer had seen such carnage, such horror, that he actually erased the memory and replaced it with a false one. Now consider the long-term impact. On the officers, we ask again and again and again to go into these situations. Feudally, I might add. Feudally, I might add. The uh, average optimal police response time in a uh, 911 emergency is three minutes. Most of these slaughters, because of the ability of these weapons, to fire a hundred rounds in ninety seconds are over in two. And but often, I would think, Seamus, I, I would mm-hmm. think that um, a lot of the carnage would would be in process, in progress, or already done by the time the the call is even made. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. 
at Sandy Hook, I, I, I'll go to that, and I don't name him because, you know, as I said, I am not going to feed into their fame, their their thirst for infamy. But the Sandy Hook killer, okay, uh, is an interesting case in point, okay, and it goes to a couple of issues. One of them is the issue of uh, one of the arguments that's constantly made is that uh, is that. Um, uh, you know, it's not the weapon, okay, that there are other weapons that could do these sorts of things, and that's true. That's true. Um, during the uh, assault weapons ban, you had, a, uh, you, you had a, a, a noticeable decrease in the number of all varieties of mass shootings, and I think it's an, an indictment of our culture, quite frankly, um, that we draw distinctions between mass shootings, mass public shootings. The, the Eskimos, they used to say, have a hundred words for snow um, because it was you know, an element that was so essential and familiar to them. We have a dozen different designations for mass atrocities, which tells you how much a part of our culture they are. But the argument is made that, well, had he not been able to acquire the gun technically legally through his mother, um, he would have just gone out onto the street and acquired one. No. Okay. No. Uh, if you've ever looked at a picture of this squirrely little psychopath, you realize that if he had uh, uh, ventured out onto the, uh, the, the, the seamier side of Hartford or New Haven or the Bronx, in the middle of the night with a pocket full of cash to buy an illegal weapon on the street, they, they would have robbed him, and 26 kids would still be alive. They lacked the skills. They lacked the savvy. This kid didn't even really, even though he had fired the weapon many, many times with his mother, didn't even really know how to reload it. Okay, you, They could tell at Sandy Hook, where this killer, every time this killer swapped out a magazine, because every time he did, he jacked out a live round. What he did have was access to a weapon that could affect the kind of devastation that it did. The entire affair from the moment he hit the, the, the front door of that school to the moment that he shot himself, lasted 11 minutes. The cops moved with tremendous alacrity in that situation. They weren't able to stop him. They weren't able to stop him before the carnage, and that's part of the extended round, uh, extended round magazine issue. Um, Seamus, I need to we put. We won't a, discuss anything other than that, right? Um, I need to put a comment here. I want to talk about some of the different types of mass shootings that occur and what you've mm -hmm. learned about them in your uh, in your look at all this. <clears throat> My guest is uh, Seamus McGraw, the author of a taller uh, from a taller tower. The Rise of the American Mass Shooter. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, our voices radio, 92.1 FM in Flint. And um, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then uh, we'll return and talk some more about... Uh, what unfortunately is regular breaking news these days.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation uh, with the author of a new book, From a Taller Tower, The Rise of the American Mass Shooter, by Seamus McGraw, who joins me by phone. Seamus, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no. I, 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 I'm enjoying some of your commercials, Tom. <laughs> well, good, good. Um, in the last segment, you talked about two distinct uh shootings one uh the one that you talk about as sort of ground zero for this rise mm-hmm. of the american mass shooter the tower uh sniper university in, of texas august 1st 1966 yes right and then you talk about sandy hook which is a school shooting mm-hmm. um do you think of them both as school shootings are these very different kinds of shootings and shooters? I don't believe they are significantly different kinds of shooters or shootings. Um, There were some technological differences um, in the, uh, the, uh, the, the Austin massacre um, in terms of um, the deployment of the weapons um, that sort of thing. Um, but underneath it all, Tom, I think there is a, a through line that runs through all of these massacres, be they, and I, I cover, I, I cover them by the score, okay, in the course of this book. Um, University, or, or Virginia Tech, I, I talk about, uh, I actually sit down Okay, and and talk with the the murderer and a massacre that was done in the early '90s at uh, Simon's Rock College at uh, Bard University in in Massachusetts, um, Fort Hood, um, Luby's, um, the massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue, the the the, the massacre that, uh, that 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 took place subsequent to Las Vegas in places like. Um, El Paso and Odessa Midland and um, Buffalo. I, Buffalo is not in the book because obviously that just happened recently. But there's a through thread that runs through all of these, Tom. And it is, um, it has to do with um, each of these killers. They may wrap themselves in um, different ideological banners, or no ideological banner at all, um, in order to justify their bloodlust. Um, the reason I and, the reason I first and foremost, to... let me let me just let me just let me just sum up the point, Tom. Yeah, go, first and go foremost, ahead, what they are are killers, okay, who are seeking fame and redress for some kind of uh, of 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 uh, perceived grievance, and above all. Okay, pretty much every one of them. And and a killer said this to me point blank. I asked him, I said, would a good guy with a gun have stopped you? And he said, I thought I was the good guy with a gun. Yeah, that's 
That's a powerful statement. Um, the, the reason I wanted to dig into this, how these things compare to each other and what the thread is that runs through them all, is because of a conversation I had with um, another author. He, he wrote a book about Columbine. He was one of the first reporters on the scene. And Dave Cullen? I'm sorry? Dave Cullen? Yes. He's uh, an absolute hero of mine. And he... Um, made uh, an observation about school shootings in particular that very often they happen in these these suburban areas they're outside they're not in the big cities and mm-hmm. and they're they're done by uh, the the shooters are often outcasts who don't really have a click to hang with. Columbine was a little different because it was a group. But typically it's um, in these small towns, there isn't that that place, uh, you know, at the dime store downtown where everybody collects on the corner, you know, the, the, the oddballs, the freaks. And so they they end up feeling more ostracized in these smaller towns than they would in a big city and that's why we don't see these things in big cities what do, what do you think of that of I, have, I i i i disagree with that i have i have the utmost respect for for dave Cohen. i think he is uh, i think he's a phenomenal reporter i think um I think he's done phenomenal work on this issue, and not just with regard to Columbine. But I, 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 I'm going to disagree with him slightly on this. And where my disagreement is, is yes, okay, these guys, and they are largely, though not exclusively, male, okay, do see themselves um, as less ostracized than lone rangers, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I want to go a, a point further. Okay. It may have been true that at the end of the 1990s, um, when you had Columbine, okay, which by the way was not intended to be a school shooting. That was intended to be a school bombing. Okay. But it has served subsequently as kind of the the model for a lot of these killers, and they they well, continue to be romanticized. It changed but response procedures. It did change response procedures. It absolutely did. There were there, there was a lot of a lot of value to um, to to uh, sort of police introspection in in the wake of that. But again, we're placing an awful burden on first responders, and and we just saw that fail in Uvalde, didn't we? Okay. Yeah, we did. Um, but um, I don't believe these guys are as isolated as they might have been back then. Okay, uh, because something fundamental has changed since then, and that is the rise of the internet right. and these chat groups. Um, it's true in every um, marginal and marginalized um, subculture in America that once upon a time there was isolation in small towns, but I think exactly the inverse is true right now. And I think now we live in a culture where because of the Internet, because of the dark web, okay, because of places like 4chan and 8chan, etc., okay, there is now a community of um, 
depraved people who reinforce and encourage each other. I think the reason school shooters choose schools is because that's the environment they're familiar with. I think the reason the Fort Hood, the psychiatrist who, who conducted the massacre at Fort Hood, picked Fort Hood, was because it was accessible, available, and familiar to him. I think the reason that the killer at Tree of Life picked the Tree of Life was because he could wrap it up in the ideology that he had reinforced on a daily basis in the dark corners of the web where he prowled. And it was available, accessible. The other thing that's important to remember, Tom, is that in you know some of these these killers may fantasize about going down in a hail of bullets, and suicide may actually be one of their uh, one of one of their their motivating factors. But they're largely cowards because they always pick the most vulnerable people at the most vulnerable time in order to commit their atrocities. I go into, um, I go into uh, the, the massacre at Christchurch in New Zealand. It's the only part of the book where I actually, beat by beat, depict the violence that was done. And I do that for a very specific reason, because there is a moment. He broadcast that live while he was doing it. And there is a moment in that massacre, which is, by the way, very, very, very much inspired um, by uh, sort of our peculiar American obsessions. Um, if you look at his manifesto, it is almost a mirror image of the manifesto of a killer in Norway. The only word he uses more than I in that manifesto, the word I, is either the United States or America. We are inspiring these things. But in the course of the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the massacre at Christchurch, there's a moment when a, uh, a terrified congregant of the first ma mosque bumps into him and he drops a uh, he drops a one of his magazines okay and then continues to fire at unarmed people clustered in the corner and once they're shot he shoots them again okay and later while he's broadcasting live he talks about how he had to stop in the middle of a firefight <laughs> to change, to pick up a magazine firefight firefight. He massacred 40 unarmed people. Women. Children, and women are very often the first victims of these uh, atrocities, Tom. Um, unarmed, terrified people. He massacred them. And in his twisted, self-righteous fantasy, he describes what he did to people who saw him do it as a firefight. I think that tells you a lot about what we're really dealing with when we're talking about these people. What do we know about the creation and evolution of these shooters? Are they born of the Internet now, or is there something... 
something sociologically that could be addressed to to cut this off before it becomes an event? What I've come to suspect, Tom, is that they have always been with us. Okay, we have always had psychopaths, sociopaths, but we've done two things. We've done two things. We've given them access to a particular type of firearm that is capable of carrying out unimaginable slaughter and which is actually marketed. And we saw this in the Remington suit. To appeal to this particular kind of stunted adolescence. Is that and is that, is and that market? In addition to that, we've we've created it. We've created a, a vast and bottomless swamp of an echo chamber on the internet. So it's it's both of those things. Is One of them is easier to address than the other, isn't it? Well, yeah. the The marketing of it is is that carried out largely by movies, television, and video games. I think it's reinforced by 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 movies, but it, it is a long-standing part of the American culture. The good guy with the gun myth wasn't born um, at the University of Texas Tower. Um, it wasn't born there. It's been it's been woven into the fabric of the American culture for a very long time. It's John Wayne. Um, but 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 I will say this. Um, I will say that it has been put on steroids at a period of time um, when sort of the cultural um, the cultural um, integrity our ability to hold together as a people has been questioned you mentioned and and Dave is right when he turns around Dave Cullen is right when he turns around and talks about the fact that you do tend to see for example school shootings more often in uh, suburban communities what do suburban communities reflect very often though Tom okay it's the transience of American culture I don't think it's an accident that um, this phenomenon developed about the same time, okay, that the post-war affluence and the post-war transience um, of Americans um, really began to take hold. I don't know how much of a factor it is, but I don't think we can, we, we, we can exclude it from our calculations altogether. You know, it, Think of the 1960s America, okay, and America since. And it is a history of people leaving one place and going to another without deep connections or forming deep communities very often, okay? And I think that may be part of it as well. Um, that sense of isolation, that, that drives us all into a sense of isolation. At the t we now live in a culture, Tom, where I think we are more divided than we have been at any time, at least since the Civil War, and yet at the same time, 
We are hyper-connected. So I think we do congregate into small towns of um, similar interest in the virtual world. And so I do think that's a factor as well. I don't think that's the only factor. And again, this is a factor that in, a, in order to turn around and address it, we have to A, recognize it, just like we do with the culture of grievance and the culture of rage. And it's a generational thing in order to address that. So if this, if this rests on, if this, these atrocities rest on three legs of the stool, two of them can only be addressed with sort of a long-term um, and conscientious cultural self-reflection. One of them, however, the one that turns around and allows these atrocities to be as absolutely horrendous as it is, could be addressed in the short term. Except, except that those other two legs of the stool have created a political and cultural environment where we're not even willing to do that much. Do you get any sense, and I've talked to a couple of people who, who have mixed emotions about whether or not this, this recent event in Uvalde um, is, is going to have any impact on changing that. And by that, I, I, I mean what, I you're what you're referring to with regard to automatic weapons and their availability. I, um, Tom, I am a terminal optimist. Okay, I, it's for all the 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 horrors um, that I document. Um, I still believe that we have within us the ability to do what Winston, Winston Churchill once said of Americans, that Americans will do the right thing after they've exhausted every other option. <laughs> um, I still believe we have within us the, the power to do that. And um, yeah, I think that's something that uh, people of goodwill on all sides of the political spectrum are hoping for. I do not have a great deal of faith, however, that this is the moment. And, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. If you listen to that pediatrician speak yesterday, okay, that should have been um, the moment when all Americans, in office and out, Acknowledge that this is simply not acceptable. That we cannot tolerate this. That we are living in a situation now where, you know, I often make the point that um, the Russians, since launching their invasion in February um, of Ukraine, have lost somewhere between 15 and 20,000 of their soldiers. And most of us have no problem concluding from that that they are losing that war. 
if this is an average year, and from the looks of things, it may be an above average year, but if this is an average year, we will lose 40,000 Americans to gun violence. We will lose twice the number that the Russians have lost in combat, and we cannot admit to ourselves yet that we're losing this war. Or that we're even at war. But I think, I think, I believe this, and I'll tell you where my cause of optimism is, comes from, Tom. As I told you at the beginning of this conversation, I live in the woods. And there is not a day, except Sundays when hunting is illegal in Pennsylvania, between the middle of October and the end of January that I do not have a rifle in my hands. I have four children, Tom. They range in age from almost 18 to 32. Not one of my four children, not one of my four children owns or even touches a firearm. And the reason is that the intractability of a small minority of gun owners fanned by the gun industry itself into a fervor, relying on a kind of tortured and overly expansive view of the Second Amendment, lumping their cultural identity tying their cultural identity to these firearms in the same way that these killers do, and refusing any, even moderate, even modest restrictions. Shame has turned in the minds of my children the firearms that they grew up with into something to be feared, mistrusted, and the totem of a different tribe. Eventually, Tom, I'm 63 years old, Tom, okay? Um, I'm going to be off the stage in a fair number of years, and the stage is going to be theirs. I make the argument again and again that the greatest threat to the Second Amendment in this country is not coming from the Joe Bidens or the uh, Beto O'Rourke's or me. It's coming from the Wayne LaPierre's and the Greg Abbott's and the Dan Patrick's. The people who turn around and say, we will, we will not compromise at all. Eventually, eventually over time, there will be a ban on semi-automatic rifles. And they're guaranteeing it because well, they're turning an entire generation against them. Seamus, I've got to end it there. We're out of time, but I... I'm uh, sorry. And I, feel, I'm sorry. No, I can rant, Tom. I can rant. I, <laughs> hey, you warned me that you could riff, and, and that's <laughs> fine. Um, but I do like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? I do have a website, SeamusMcGraw.com. Um... You can, you can, um, you, uh, my books are in, in most libraries, um, they're available on Amazon, and I understand they're available in most bookstores these days, so, you know, by all means, and I'll tell you something else, Tom, for all your listeners, 
My home phone number is 570-588-6000. I believe that uh, writing a book is a two-way street. So if anybody wants to just reach out to me and talk, I'm, I'm available Hello, all the time. Citizens. All right. Thank Thanks, Seamus. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 48 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop, Attorney General, and we got a concert to get to! 
I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Nark. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. What? This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Couldn't be happier, Margie. He's too good to be true. He's, he's tall, he's handsome, he's rich, exciting. Definitely the best thing that's happened to me since George died. No, no, the kids haven't met him yet. They will later, though. He's out duck hunting. He said he'd drop by afterwards. Oh, Marge, I like a man who hunts ducks. <laughs> yeah. He said he was coming by because he had something very important to say to me. Marge, I think he may even pop the question. Oh, wait a minute. That might be him now. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Coming! Hi, Michael. Hi, Anne. I just made some martinis just the way you like them. Oh, great. Did I just hear a shot? Yeah. It's a funny thing. I was walking up the driveway, and uh, my gun kind of went off accidentally, and I shot a rabbit. (laughs) He was digging up your garden. Yeah. Uh, Michael? Yeah. Um, that wasn't a rabbit. That that was Skippy, my dog. (laughs) Oh, Anne, I'm terribly sorry. No problem, Michael. No problem. He was getting old anyway. Sure? My dog in dog age, he was close to seven. <laughs> Sit down, Michael. Oh, I forgot to ask, how did duck hunting go? Oh, well, it's not really duck hunting. It's, uh, well, it's kind of deer hunting, even though I didn't shoot a thing. I am getting better. <laughs> oh, man, I, I'm very sorry. I'm, no I... problem. These things happen. It was uh, getting dirty anyway. <laughs> I can't believe it. You know, Michael, I'm reading this book called The Total Woman. Yes. It really makes a lot of sense. It says that... Oh, hi, Duke. You're home from school early. Yeah. We had a happy day. Oh. Hello, son. How are you? Hi. So what's wrong with Skippy? He looks sick. <laughs> no, no, Duke. He's tired. He's sleeping. Oh, that's strange. The mailman's lying in the lawn. <laughs> he must be sleeping, too. Bright young boy. Son. That's right, it was my son. But we can't live in the past now, can we? We must live for today and tomorrow. Our tomorrow. You're so understanding. Well, I I try not to be bothered by trivialities, and you should too. Mommy, am I crazy or did I just hear shots? Say, who was that? I was in the shower. I could have sworn I My late daughter. I I am now. I'm very sorry. No problem, Michael. No problem. Look, Patty was young, but those were 19 fruitful years. She even went to Europe last summer. Listen, um... Well, now that we're alone, as it were, I... Well, there's something I... uh, There's something I wanted to ask you. Really? Yeah. I've never asked anybody this before. I'm kind of nervous. Take your time. Anne, well, uh, 
I'm so old-fashioned. Look, look, look. You sit here. I guess I just want to do it the right way. Look. Anne? Anne, I'm... Are you all right? No problem. Just hurry up. What was it that you wanted to ask? You're sure you're all right? I'm fine, Michael. Oh, um... <laughs> you know, I could really use that martini now. Now? Yeah, it'd probably help me pop the... Well... You know, as I was saying, I mean... Well, we've known each other for, oh, I guess, a few months. Oh, that's, that's fine. That's perfect. Oh, do you think I could have a twist? Just a little liar. <laughs> This message has been brought to you by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. You know, a gun is only as dangerous as the man who uses it. Oh, boy. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Alexander Zajic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 